Good morning, Doug. Good morning, JR. Happy Monday morning to you. Happy Monday. It's good to be back here on the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. I've got a question for you. Uh, you know, over the years in ministry, when we've been working together, we've talked about a pastor payday. Yes. Because uh, we know pastors just roll in the dough. Right. You know, most of them. So, yeah. um, so explain when we talk about a payday, what does that mean? Yeah, a payday is the day when we recognize that the work that we are a part of has eternal significance. Mm. And so for us, we always, I mean, you and I have related it so much to baptism. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we just celebrated baptism. Uh, we do it once a year sometime. Uh, we're th- actually, we might, we might be planning one for the end of the summer. There's a few others that have are interested, but it is that day when um, you just see that God is at work and that you had a hand to play in it. And mm. that is like the best part of being a pastor when you recognize that we had a chance to be part of what God was doing in someone's life. Yeah. It's where we look back and we're like, we just step back. We see all these people there at baptism. We step back and we say, this is why we do what yes. we do. Yes. All the toil and the loneliness and the heartache and the late nights and the sitting with people in a hospital room. And we go, this is why we do what we do. Thank you, God. Not that it's up to us, but thank you, God. We get to see a glimpse and a picture of this, right? It's like so rewarding yes. uh, when that happens. I love baptism. I mean, it's, it's, it's always, you know, one of the high watermarks of the year, no pun intended. I mean, it really, <laughs> it really is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and we always say we have one rule, right? No polite golf claps allowed. Yes. Because angels are doing backflips in heaven and uh, we can't just be going, oh, nice, nice, nice shot up on the green, <laughs> right? Like we go nuts. Yeah. And uh, we do vuvuzelas and air horns and bells and drums and whistles. And it it uh, causes uh, some movement on the Richter scale when we're together outside, which is awesome. Yeah. And so, I, I think what I, and again, I, I know a lot of churches do baptisms differently. But one of the things that I've appreciated about our community is that we actually use it as a time to affirm God's work in people by allowing space for for the community to speak into the life of the person being yeah. baptized. Oh, man. It's like there are words that were spoken years ago to others that are that I still bring up in meetings with people. And it's like, remember at your baptism when this person said that to you? Like, live into that. It's yeah. Like, oh, right. So I feel like that in itself has such weight and yeah, I mean, I feel like the other, you know, what are some of the other paydays for you, JR? Yeah, well, that's a big one. And I think in my role now as I'm working more with pastors is seeing them thrive. Mm. Not that I wave my hand and go, I I, I had a role in that, but just, it's like when you see your kid, whether it's sports or music or something, like you've worked with them for a long time. And you see them practice and work really hard. And then when they're in the performance or they're, you know, on the field and they're, they're doing well, you you just live with that satisfaction. Even if you don't tell other people, like, like I had a role to play in that, like that fulfilling, satisfying, not arrogance, just that, that like tangible, oh man, that investment I made is now pouring in other people. So I feel that a lot with the pastors that I, not a lot, I on on occasion, I feel that where I get to see someone preach where I've like really worked hard with them to see them preach, you know, or I see them where they were in a bad spot and walking alongside of them and coaching or encouraging them. And then they're thriving now, you know? And yes, it's God's work in their life and they are the owner of their own lives to, you know, work and improve and grow. But, but you just say, man, I had a role to play in that in a non-arrogant way is just beautiful. So I love seeing that. So 
Yeah. I mean, obviously baptism is a big one. What are some other paydays for, for you? Yeah. Well, it was interesting at our last baptism, we had an impromptu uh, child dedication uh, because there is a family in our church that has been for the last year and a half, two years has been working through an adoption process mm. and the, it was finalized on Tuesday. So by the end of the baptism, uh, Katina and her husband, Bob came down and they said, Hey, can, can we baptize or mm. can, can we dedicate our son to the Lord? Uh, and it was just beautiful. But I think dedications are those other spaces where, yeah, especially yeah. when it's, when it's, uh, stories of pain and waiting mm. and you see that come to this fruition and you see people step into this, like, you know, uh, you, you know, we waited and we struggled and it was difficult, but God was present. Um, I think those are, those are, and in a, in a weird way, I think some of the some of the most unique paydays have been uh, at at funerals, and it's kind of a different yeah that's sort a of point. a payday. But but watching families payday, like they got what they deserve, they got, they're yeah. in the casket now. No, no, that, that's that was why really we are bad. the worst pastors <laughs> in America. Oh my no, gosh! No, no, no! Please redeem, yeah, redeem I, the podcast let, here, let me, Doug. Let me try. Let Reel me try. us back in. Oh, good lord! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like man, no one calls me for funerals anymore. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but there are there's a gift. I feel like, uh, and Mike Yacanelli said this a bunch of years ago. He said at every at every funeral, be on the lookout for these gifts. And I feel like what happens is it trains my eyes to to see the moment of blessing when families find out things about the person who passed their loved one that they had no idea happened. Mm. And I, th I think those are those little paydays of like, they're bittersweet, they're difficult, but there's this like sense of restored hope, even mm. in the midst of loss. Yeah. Um, One of those, I think when I think of funeral paydays that stick out the most to me, well, you and I were both involved in this one. It's when we didn't even know the person, mm. but you know, our church meets at the boys and girls club and, uh, and it, someone reached out, one of the employees reached out yes. to you and said, Hey, one of our former employees just died. Um, it was out of state and their family doesn't have the resources necessarily to have a full traditional funeral. And we're not sure what to do. And you offered, well, can we do that? Yeah. And, uh, and so we were involved in that and it took place on Sunday afternoon. In the morning we had our gathering in the afternoon, we left all the chairs out. We didn't break them down and hosted a funeral, of several hundred people. <laughs> I mean, yeah. A diverse group of people where we in the same gym floor where they've played flag football and floor hockey for years and years, where we worship for years and years, those two things came together. And to have people hearing the gospel and having hope and comfort in the midst of that, I mean, that was a huge payday. That was in the a midst huge, of death. huge payday. It was so cool to, to see. Yeah. I mean, it was the most diverse room I've ever seen. Yeah. And to think that you had um, just the fact that the payday came out of having a long relationship and building trust over years. Yeah. And they said, I, one of the employees, when she said like, well, we can't pay you. And you're like, we, we don't want payment. Yeah. Like, we just yeah. want to do this. Yeah. And to see people from our church handing out water and getting food and helping with the logistics and the details behind the scenes. That was a huge payday. And so it doesn't have to be just baptism, even funerals, uh, child dedications, but uh, that'd be a good thing for our listeners to be thinking through where are the paydays on a regular calendar 
year that exist, or maybe paydays that just kind of pop up uh, serendipitously um, that we just say, thank you, Lord. This is great to see my investment involvement, this side of heaven to see some fruit come from. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And my, my sense is for the youth pastors listening, paydays Mm. are those moments of seeing Mm. a kid make a decision to follow Jesus. It's the moments of uh, when a kid gets it or when you're sitting with a student uh, and I, I, I have so many vivid memories of conversations in vans or on retreats or on missions trips and watching watching kids lives radically change because Jesus shows up in these great ways and oh. like that's you know and I think you you said it best there is something really cool uh, and I think about the passage that you challenged me to memorize years ago that is still just fresh in my brain and I, there's a picture to this I, I remember I was invited to a uh, well the passage is this. It is, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will be able to teach others. Yeah. Second Timothy 2 2. And I can, there's this picture of sitting at a banquet table um, that I was invited to for a former student who was now uh, leading a ministry team. And he was up there talking and introducing the kid that he poured into that year. Mm. And then that kid got up and oh, spoke. Man. And it was like, I mean, that I just- four generations. Oh, four, and I was just like weeping. I yeah. mean, there was- That was Second Timothy 2 too. I, I lived visually it, Visually lived out. I lived it. Love it. But Love I, it. But those are those, those spaces. And I think that's why it's so important. That's a payday, man. It's a huge Holy payday. Holy cow. But it's important for pastors to stay. Yeah. It's, you know, as difficult as it is, those are those days that get us through the hard days. Like, mm. I mean, you know, the doldrums of winter when Jan, you know, the first Sunday of January rolls around and nobody's at church because it's cold or, you know, and we know cold. I mean, we met in the boys and girls club and one time it was 47 <laughs> degrees. And we thought the heater broke. Someone's going to die. Uh, this is not <laughs> like I see my breath yeah. while I'm listening to people pray up front. <laughs> <laughs> this is never a good thing. But yeah, I, I think too, it's just an invitation to celebrate that God gives pastors almost a front row seat to these beautiful things. And yeah. we have to hold it like Holy spirit tattoo those images in our brains, yeah. help us to not forget. And I think that's why the scripture continues to say, remember, 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 yeah, remember. That's good. Because it's easy to forget. Yeah. Yeah. And of course we want to be, make sure we're the sh- payday is just shorthand for meaningful experiences that God graciously allows us to see where our, you know, uh, the payday is the work on the cross, right? We don't do this because we deserve a paycheck. We don't do this because, Hey, I've done this, God, you need to give me something. But when he graciously allows us this side of heaven to see our work has not been done in vain, but is making investment, the seed is growing and bearing fruit. That's what we mean by payday. Amen. ago, Doug, you and I read an article on Christianity Today's website, and it was titled, Everyone's Pastor, No One's Friend. Church leaders are seldom alone, but often lonely. And it was written by Arthur Bors. And uh, man, it just seemed to cause a lot of conversation, not just with us and some others that we talked to, but around the country. Um, And what we found so fascinating, um, you and I just found out, I was thinking this was just written, you know, a couple weeks ago, but realized that this came out actually in January, 1991. And it's an evergreen article. 
Uh, it's just amazing to me that this has been around for almost 30 years and this is a conversation still going on, still relevant today. Yes. And the fact that we found that out minutes ago, that this <laughs> we was written in 91. Like, what? Yeah. January wait, two, uh, 1991? You mean pastors were lonely in 91 too? Like, oh my gosh, there's but something it, happening. But it just shows us yes. how prevalent this is. This is not a faddish thing, although I think there are some trends of social media and maybe some other things of isolation in our culture that are accentuating that. However, this is not a new conversation. So how have you felt that, Doug, in terms of feeling like everyone's pastor and no one's friend? First of all, have you felt that? And if so, how has that popped up in your life? I have absolutely felt that. And I I think it it pops up in my life when there are these, well, one, this is going to sound really strange, but maybe not. I think pastors get this. When you're at a wedding and you realize that I I have done over 40 weddings and I have never, I've been in one. Me too. Actually, I, I, I have never been, uh, in the bridal party. Yeah. Never. Yeah. For my brother, that was it. But yeah. I had a dual role. Yeah. I was the pastor and I was, yeah. and so that I doesn't count. I was the count. pastor of my brothers. So right. I was really honored. But other than that, yes, I have never. Yes. Yeah. And that's always stuck with me. Like it's messed with me in ways it shouldn't. Like it's not that big a deal. And I'm honored to be in that front row seat as the pastor up front. Absolutely. But yeah, I've never been in that role. It's and and I I think, you know, always a always a uh, bridesmaid, <laughs> never a bride, but but at the same time I think always a pastor, yeah. never a, a groomsman. Yeah, but but it it it, it I think in some ways it, it also it 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 almost accentuates the reality that we feel. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm witnessing this and helping people get there, but I'm not part. I'm I'm my part is different, and and I I'm honored to be part of that. I mean, I don't I don't look at that in a light way. I'm grateful that I get a chance to. I mean, there's something beautiful when you stand there and you watch the bride walk down the aisle and you look at a, a groom, you know, big tough groom who just tears in it. I mean, there's beautiful things that oh, we yeah. only we get to see. Yeah, and by the way, I stand corrected. I realize <laughs> that a college friend. I was a groomsman. I, Robert, Dang. I'm sorry. I don't know how I forgot. <laughs> Grateful for you. But uh, yeah, but just one. But, yeah. but you know, that sticks with me. Yeah. That, that really sticks with me. And I mean, this idea of loneliness, and Arthur Bors talks about this in his his article from Christianity Today that we're referencing. He, he said, loneliness is widespread. It's not just for pastors. In fact, he quotes Henry Nouwen in his book, Reaching Out, who said, loneliness is one of the most universal sources of human suffering today. A psychiatrist and clinical psychologist speak of it as the most frequently expressed complaint and the root not only of an increasing number of suicides, but also alcoholism, drug use, and different psychosomatic symptoms. So we know that that's not just for pastors, but it seems to be accentuated even more. Absolutely. Why, why do you think that is in your own life? I, I think the pedestal, um, although although we have a mantra in our church where uh, we say no perfect people are allowed, and that starts with the pastor. Uh, I'm grateful in a lot of ways because I feel like uh, Renew has really modeled what it is to allow me to be a person. But there are still these things, even in my own life, where I feel like, can I really trust, you know, this this conversation with this person, or how, how do mm. I, knowing what I know, how do I enter into this relationship? Uh, I, I also feel like some of it too is just uh, most of the time when there's a phone call, 
it's almost always, hey, I have this thing or, hey, there's something going on. And again, that's that's our role. That's what we do. Mm. But I also think too, that that's a very isolating space to be. And I don't know if this ever happened to you, but there are times when when it almost puts me off guard. Like I, I, I'm i like caught off guard when someone's like, hey, how are you doing? It's like, what? well, I, I don't. And, and like ashamedly, there are times when I don't even know how to answer that question uh, because I'm so used to focusing on other yeah. people and other things and other stuff that, that, um, I just, I struggle with figuring out how to do it. And I, I'm grateful. Like there are some men in our church and even some ladies in our church. Like I think of Aubrey and Dave and, uh, some others, Caleb, they, they, they asked me, how am I doing it? And, and I sense that it's this real question. I think that's what I really appreciated about, um, our relationship it's like whenever we would have our staff meeting whatever that was it was always how are you doing yeah and i feel yeah re- very grateful that there was at least somebody during the week that that was concerned with my own well-being yeah 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 and and one of the things in this article that we're talking about you know, he he talks about reasons for pastoral loneliness he talks about working alone right i mean there's a lot of teaching prep there's some confidential conversations like Absolutely. so we have to kind of work alone sort of the nature of it in some senses a lack of reciprocation like what you're saying like some of the you know the the role that people are expecting you to play i mean we've said this before on the podcast people don't just pick up the phone to call you for no reason and just say, I just wanted you to know how grateful I am for you. And like, you know, just, just gushing on and on about how grateful they are. doesn't mean people are ungrateful, but I think it's easy for us in, in many different places to just assume people know, Oh, I, they, they know I appreciate them. Um, but lack of reciprocity or reciprocation, I should say. And then the third playing the role of pastor, right? Uh, and you talked about how are you doing? And he said he's caught off guard as well uh, to avoid a direct answer. Uh, <laughs> our frailties, right, can get yes. in the way and and our own prickly personalities and uh, ongoing sanctification process. But man, it's <laughs> a nice way know. to say the day when you're a jer- like when you're just acting like a jerk and <laughs> yeah, you just don't want to be around a, people. It's a bit of a double standard sometimes, it right? It's like we know that people are sinful, including the pastor, but then when the pastor snaps or something or you know, is a little bit edgy or impatient. It's like, man, like you're a pastor. You shouldn't be doing that. It's like, you're right. But would you say that to someone who was a non-pastor? Would you sort of talk to them like, Hey, you can't do that. You're a plumber. Like you can't talk to people like the way you're an attorney. And and (laughs) it's just interesting, this sort of dual balance, um, this dual element that we have to balance. And then, and then the other one, the isolation from the extended family, um, that pastors don't often choose, the community, right? Like sort of we're called to a place. We receive a call from a church that, you know, we're sort of this family of God is sort of given to us. We didn't necessarily choose it. Like other people might choose their friends uh, or where they spend the majority of their time. So anyway, and and I want to be careful too. And and you and I aren't complaining about this, but no, we just are no. acknowledging that this is a real well, issue that Satan loves to isolate it yes. does his great work in isolation. <laughs> and I think I think too this is this conversation is important because these are conversations that we have with pastors all over the country. Yeah. This is not just a conversation that like and and again I I know this is not us complaining. This is us even trying to say help in a helpful way. If this is the reality of pastors, what would it look like for us to actually begin to develop friendships? And I had this weird th- the other night I I ref and I play ice hockey. I don't ref that much anymore, but I play ice hockey for a team. And um, one of my one of my friends uh, just after the game was like, "Hey, how are you doing?" And 
it was one of those things that was so interesting to me because that question, again, I was caught off guard by the question and I very quickly, you know, gave him kind of a, a generic answer. And then I jumped into seeing how he was doing. And in that, what I, what I recognized is I think when, when loneliness is kept on check and when, when we remember like Christ is with us, that these people aren't our, you know, the church isn't our enemy, but they're there. And some of it is we have to figure out ways to tell people how to care for us. So how do we communicate that? And sometimes it falls on deaf ears because it is weird. Um, but what was interesting to me with this conversation with my friend is uh, I, I went home and I found myself grateful for someone that actually asked where I feel like sometimes we get in this role of like, no one cares, no one asks, no one. And then we, we miss those moments when people do ask. Mm. It's like, how do we step into that courageously? And then, and realizing that we, you know, like any healthy friendship, friendship isn't just someone that I can throw all this stuff into. It's like, who do I trust? And I think it has to be built in that space of trust. And so it was really, I was grateful for a conversation with a friend where I deflected, but yet realized that when he asked me that question, he genuinely listened well. Even when I just shared the things that seemed kind of generic, I was just grateful that someone was willing to listen. I think even back to a conversation, um, a Monday morning pastor conversation we had with Sid Holesclaw. Yeah. She mentioned how spiritual direction is so important because it's a place where I, where sometimes uh, I just feel like I can just say the hard things and not, and it's different than a friendship because sometimes friends are going to try to fix or try to, you know, well, let's talk about this. Or there's a, there's this, there's this different conversation. So I'm grateful for spiritual directors, but also realize that pastors need friends. Yeah. And so JR, like, what are some things that you found or what are some encouragements that you would have in terms of, hey, here, like, like, first of all, like, what is a friend to you? How would you define that? Yeah, boy. When you think something so elementary, like friends, you know, like, what is friendship? How would we define friendship? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've said, I think I've even said it here on the podcast that, uh, pastors need people who don't need them. Mm. And, uh, where it feels like a two-way street. I think there are a lot of times I have lowercase f friends where I connect with them and can go deeper than just sort of this transactional relationship or where they're looking to me only. Um, but sometimes it still feels a little diagonal. But true friends to me are this sort of 50-50 on the same plane, arrows moving both ways, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have friends... But most of my friends are out of the city and sometimes out of the state, which I sometimes mourn, but I also, in some ways, I'm a little bit grateful for that because I can speak with a little bit more honesty. <laughs> um, but I'm really grateful just in the last uh, year. I mean, I've prayed this for years, but have a, I have a friend who pastors a Methodist church in Williamsport, PA. So that's about Little League World Series, for those of you who've probably heard about Williamsport before. Um, it's about three hours away, a little over three hours but I'm so grateful and I get to see him when we do trainings together in different uh, like parts of the country. Um, and he's been to Lansdale twice and I've been to Williamsport twice, but we see each other mostly out of our own unique context, but whether it's just a text or an email, uh, or something, you know, getting together, having a meal. What I, what I love is that I, I'm an initiator and I love the fact that I'm not always the one who's initiating, that he's checking in with me 
uh, as much as I'm checking in with him, which is real, really meaningful to me. And so God's really answered that prayer in the last year. And sometimes it's just stupid, you know, little memes we'll send each other via text. And sometimes it'll be really serious, you know, heavy things or ways to pray for our children. And so I, I've just needed that, you know, or to vent about some situation that happened and just be able to, uh, can you believe this happened? And and not out of unhelpful complaining, but right. healthy venting, I think has been really, has been really good. Um I love asking questions, and and I was so lit up uh, a week or two ago uh, when Michael Frost wrote about how we need a question revolution, and uh, he talked about how we just need, like, I think in conversation, not just for pastors, but human beings, like North America right now needs to learn the art of conversation, oh my <laughs> and goodness. part of that leads to being a better friend. And so he talked about how he had, he and his wife had some friends over they hadn't seen for years uh, over and it was good to catch up. It was polite. It was engaging, but they got to the end of the night, the friends left and Michael and his wife turned to each other and said, uh, they didn't ask us a single question the entire night. Wow. And I've been there like many times. In fact, Megan and my wife, Megan and I have a, have code language for this. Where <laughs> I love the secret code language that we are <laughs> we have sharing lots with. Of yeah, code we do. Stuff. We do. EGRs and uh, uh, ghosting. <laughs> and so we'll add another code language here. Uh, maybe we can have a segment on the the program about uh, pastoral code language. <laughs> maybe we can do an uh, entire conversation <laughs> just the code language. <laughs> just <in> code. <laughs> <laughs> not, not Morse code, but MMP code. <laughs> but, uh, but she'll say, so how was your lunch with that person? Uh, and I'll say waitress and she'll say, Ooh, I'm so sorry. What waitress means when I say that is we had lunch together and our food was brought by the, by the waitress. And I would ask a question or two and I would finish my meal and the waitress would take my plate away without the other person taking one or two bites of their meal. Mm. And, um, and sometimes without that person realizing like, oh, there's parody here. You've eat, you've finished eating. I haven't taken a bite. And so just say, yeah, I just, I got waitressed today, mm. you know, I should go, oh, I'm so sorry. And so I think, you know, I understand when you're with the pastor and he won't help, but, but uh, for all the non-pastors out there listening, you know, it's good over conversation to just say, what about you? How yeah. would you answer that, Pastor? Right. <laughs> to engage in conversation because friendship is two way. Yeah. Um, so the art of conversation is often lost. Um, and uh, and so even though we're the hosts, Doug, of course, like we're not the experts. We need this podcast too. And so <laughs> in some ways, this has helped us. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a future yeah. episode as well. But yeah. it was interesting, even as I was thinking through how do I take an active stance that because uh, my my sense is the my sense is most congregations there are people in every congregation that that are that are present that want to develop not just a pastor congregant rela- relationship but like what does it look like to be friends yeah and I think it takes a lot of courage and permission from pastors to say hey like it's okay to take that step and you might get burned and it might be difficult, but that is friendship. Like yeah. real friendship takes risk. Real friendship means that sometimes you're ticked at each other. Real friendship means that there's good, bad, and ugly in that's in those relationships. And I think I like I'm grateful when I when I look back and I see, you know, my my over the years, I I I'm still learning what it is to to to, to have a friend. And I've been grateful. I'm grateful. I have some, some folks that like my cousin, Ben, 
he's my cousin, so he has to be my friend. But, <laughs> um, but it's the same thing. I, I mean, there's nothing better than getting a stupid meme first thing in the morning, uh, you know, or, or sitting on a porch somewhere, drinking a beer, talking about life. And I think too, sometimes it's really helpful for pastors to have friends that aren't just pastors. It's almost because then we get to hear what life is like on that other space. And so I'm grateful for the diversity of that. So, yeah, I mean, if you could leave some pastors with just, uh, or, and I, I love how you, I, yeah, I, I loved how you framed that even with, if you're not a pastor listening to this, but if you could leave something for pastors listening to this, what would you want to encourage them in? Yeah. In fact, while we were talking, I was reminded just over your shoulder um, behind you is something that when I was on sabbatical, my sabbatical advisory team heard me talk about how I was so moved by the sixth century icon uh, called Abbot Mena and the Christ. And it's beautiful. It was found in Egypt. Now it's in the Louvre. It's not very big, but Abbot Mena and the Christ. And it's Abbot Mena, M-E-N-A, if you want to just Google it. Um, and it's this idea of, of Abbot Mena, and we don't know much about Abbot Mena, but that Christ has his hand around Abbot Mena's shoulders. And I'm just so moved that like Jesus, one of the main lessons I learned on sabbatical, which sounds so simple and rudimentary and, and, and simple, but it, it, it has moved me even beyond sabbatical. Jesus is my friend. Yeah, he, he rescues me. He's my savior. He's my Lord. He's my teacher. He, but he's actually my friend. And I'm a visual learner. And so for me during sabbatical, that... I would op- I would just print it out off the internet, just a little thing on computer paper, and I would just look at it every morning. And I just needed to be reminded that in the midst of my loneliness as a pastor, Jesus is my friend. Mm. And he's got my arm, his arm around my shoulders, just like Abbot Mena. And he says, let's do this together. I'll guide you. But I also want to know, how are you doing? And so simple, right? But I just, I needed that simple thing to reach deeper down into my soul. And so what I'd encourage pastors with is just to think about that Jesus is our friend. He doesn't just love us. He actually likes us. Mm. And I know theologically we say, of course he has to, because he's God. But that on a relational level, he wants to lean in and spend time with us. And to me, that's incredibly moving. So what would you want to say to pastors struggling with friendship right now? Oh man, I echo what you have said. The other thing that I would want to encourage pastors with is that they would put time in their schedule. They would brutally protect time in their schedule for friendships. Oh, that's good. And so uh, I'm in the process of thinking through what does it look like to develop one or two nights a month where the goal is to sit down and enjoy conversation with friends. Yeah, that's and, great. And realizing I, I may have to initiate that yeah. because pro- most pastors probably most pastors will have to. Probably <laughs> will have to. But even recognizing that, um, I think I want set expectations for that. So for my for me, it's when I send this email finally to these 10, 15 guys or whatever. It's just an email or three or four. I can't, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out is it big, is it small? Mm. I feel like if I do 10 to 15, then I'll at least get two or three. <laughs> <laughs> right, three or four, yeah. no one shows up. Right, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. even more lonely I'm than even I more thought. Lonely. <laughs> um, but just that uh, the expectation is we all leave our hats at the door. That's and good. we show up. 
And I, I think, and part of it too is even around questions. Like that's good. Just a space to connect. And how are you? And even, I don't know. Uh, you, you you said something years ago, and I can't. I don't know where you found it, but you said uh, men men build relationships and connect best shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. And um, and I feel like for me that's a really important thing. But it's also I also need to recognize that I need face to face time with people too. Mm. And so, yeah, I think just practically finding space on your calendar. It says like if 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 I want to see loneliness come to an end in my life, then I need to begin to build friendships. And so where yeah. where is that on my schedule? And if it's not, well, it's not going to happen. Well, that's really good, Doug, because we can wallow in like I'm lonely, and, right. right? But to say I'm going to proactively see what I can do about it. You know, yeah. I've prayed about that, but like also taking some steps, you're taking some steps yeah. to 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 take the initiative to just say, Hey, I want, I want to see if others want to join in on this, which yeah. is just, just great. So, yeah. um, which is, yeah. So we'll also have this in the show notes, but some of those resources, um, that we mentioned earlier, you know, the Christianity Today article, everyone's pastor, no from one's 91. friend from 1991, <laughs> Arthur Bors. And so we'll put that in the show notes as well as Michael Frost's, uh, article, yes. uh, his blog post, why haven't you asked me anything about my life? Uh, which was from June 26, uh, 2019. And, um, and also again, just want to encourage you to look at the, uh, just Google the icon of Christ and Abbot Mena. M-E-N-A. I think that'll be a source of encouragement to many people. So any other just final words, resources, questions that we want to leave people, Doug, before we sign off here? I feel like we should sing Friends of Friends Forever, but <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, yeah, just make sure if, if if you feel like you need to grow in friendships, uh, protect time in your schedule. Show me it in your schedule and I'll tell you that you care about it. And That's so good. I think just, and also realize, man, don't get discouraged and, yeah. and recognize that there are people in your congregation that actually like you mm. Um, mm. and they don't just have to, but they really do. And so, and I think too, like last thing, and then I'll be quiet, but I'm just, I'm grateful for the the folks in Renew who have, who have continued to reach out and ask me how I'm doing. Yeah. And so I'm grateful for that. And sometimes I also need to ask for forgiveness because I tend to stiff arm that. Huh. And so I think realizing that I need to see that when it comes as a gift and not be like, well, they don't really care because mm. I know that they do. And I'm grateful for that. Mm. That's great. Well, pastors, we want to encourage you this week as you go, that you are not alone, that God sees you. I think of Hagar in Genesis 16, the only person to give God a name. And she gave God the name El Roe, the God who sees, the God who sees me. So if in the midst of your discouragement, isolation, uh, loneliness, to remember that God sees you and that Jesus is actually your friend. He not only loves you, he actually likes you. Be encouraged by that and enter into the gospel this week of believing that gospel you proclaim up front and from the pulpit is actually available to your life as well. <laughs>